You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am the host, Matthew Rushing. I'm so excited to be back with you guys this week. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. It means a lot. So thank you so much for taking out your time during the day, evening, whenever you've popped this podcast into some sort of podcatcher or iTunes catcher or whatever it is you're listening. And maybe you're listening in the future and I don't even know what you're listening on, but thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, of course, you know we are... All over the place uh, on iTunes. You can find the show on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM because we are proudly part of the Trek FM network. Uh, you can also find the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group where we can talk about all the shows here we do on Trek FM. You can find that. Uh, just go to the Facebook page, type in Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, in the search field, and you'll find the group. Ask to be let in. You can be let in. Talk to all the other fans that love the shows. Leave us a voicemail. Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. I'd love to hear what you have to say about the movie we're going to talk about tonight. And, of course, you can also email us. Go to trek.fm slash contact. would love to hear from you guys. Really appreciate hearing from y'all um, what you have to say. And so just wanted to thank a few people. Just a quick shout-out to some people that I realized that have uh, given us some iTunes reviews that we haven't thanked yet. And got uh, the Riley guy. Really appreciate the Riley guy giving us five-star review. That's fantastic. And Omega Sam 87 also five-star review. Thank you so much. And in fact... We're going to be doing a little review contest here. So within the next month, uh, all the way till July 19th, you have to get us a review in there on iTunes. Give us a star rating and a review because that's the only way we'll know if you've given us one. And uh, you could win the new digital copy of Batman v Superman, the Ultimate Edition. That's right. So get that review in, and I'd love for you to be the winner of our prize. Well, I have two fantastic gentlemen who are back from the moon, the moon base. They, they made it back. I'm so glad they're here because we're going to be talking about Independence Day Resurrection. Richard, you made it back. I'm so excited. Woo! Thank God. <laughs> it looked dicey there for a minute. Let's just be honest. A couple close calls, but, you know, I made it through. <laughs> You know, those piloting skills, they are they are well within order. People don't mess with this guy. So, uh, And Mike Schindler, how are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? Doing well, sir. Doing well. I had a, a, a question that I wanted to know from you guys. Summer movies, big deal. We all get excited when they're coming out for the most part. And so I wanted to know where you were before you got to Resurgence. You know, uh, we talked about Independence Day last week how much we loved the um, the movie. And so I kind of wanted to see where you guys were before going into this one. What was your mindset? Mike, I, I know that uh, from a few places, you were pretty excited. What what was it that had you so pumped for Resurgence? I think a, a, a big factor in it was nostalgia. You know, the fact that um, I really, really loved the first movie, but I also really, really loved the experience of going to see the first movie, you know, in that summer. 
like I said last week, that that movie kind of defined the movie summer of 1996, which was a, a really, really significant one for me because it was the first time that I was like hardcore into, you know, movie summer. So, you know, to take it back, you know, 20 years later, you know, on the on the dot and everything, I, I was I was super excited about about that. You know, I it I I think what I said uh, last year was, you know, Independence Day resurgence is my Jurassic World, you know, and a, a lot of people who sort of like saw Jurassic Park as, you know, this childhood thing that that really sort of um, made an impact on them and, and went to see Jurassic World, I think largely because of that, you know, that's that's how I kind of approached Independence Day resurgence, you know, with that sense of nostalgia, you know, and I made a big deal of this one of seeing it in on the exact same screen that I saw the first one on and, and everything. And and I was I was just sort of like loving reliving that moment in time, you know. Yeah, no, I I completely understand and uh, that that analogy of Jurassic uh, Park and Jurassic World makes a lot of sense to me because I was one of those kids, you know, I, I grew up with Jurassic Park being kind of this um, watershed moment for films, uh, you know. Uh, obviously, I, I'm a kid of the '80s, so uh, growing up on Star Wars, but I never saw that on the big screen. And then Jurassic Park coming out is just really that that big momentous occasion where there was something, you know, I was at that age where it was like where your, your parents kind of let you see that scarier movie, you know, that you wouldn't have gotten to see before, you know, so it's just, it's, it's a real big moment in your life. And yeah, for me, that was Jurassic Park. So I can completely understand where your headspace was at for, you know, independent state resurgence and why you'd be so excited. What, what about you, Richard? Where was your headspace at? Um, you know, before we saw the movie, we actually watched, uh, we watched ID4 and, you know, we're all pumped and ready and we were ready to go. And, um, you know, it, it's just like Mike, it was, it was more nostalgia on what was the first, or what the first one was like. And I was expecting it was going to be something, you know, on the same grand scale as, as ID4 as well. And, um, I mean, I, I don't have a movie comparison like that from 96 because honestly, I don't remember most of 96. But uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, I mean, I went in there with my girlfriend, uh, I'm sorry, my fiance and my uh, daughter and uh, expecting to be uh, to, get, uh, to get our, you know, minds blown. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny to me uh, because, you know, there are lots of movies that I, that I have a nostalgia for. And, and Mike, I think we've talked about that uh, a lot, you know, this idea of nostalgia. And it's really something that's huge in Hollywood right now because they keep, like, bringing things back. You know, um, we talked about it when we talked about X-Files. Um, you know, obviously they did it with Jurassic Park and bringing us a new one. Uh I think The Force Awakens is the biggest uh, nostalgia button film that maybe has ever been made. You know, it, it it's like J.J. Abrams just had not an easy button, but a nostalgia button, and he pressed it, and that's what popped out. I think it's a really big thing, and I love nostalgia, but I can't, I, for me personally, when I saw that they were doing this, I was like, oh, seriously? That's that's not a movie that we should we should touch. You know, we should just let that be its thing, which it was great when it was its thing. But you can't add to this. You're not going to make it better. 
you know, you're not going to make another one like this. And so my big worry going into the film was this is just not going to be very good. And it's going to make me think about the original Independence Day differently or just wish that it hadn't been made. So so that was my fear going in just because of, I mean, I love nostalgia, but I'm also cynical enough, I guess, to realize that, you know, you have to be really careful with what you add to and why you add to things because, you know, it you can you can hurt the original. I'm I'm not necessarily sure that I agree with that, but regardless, I think that this is a case where that doesn't apply. I think you could make that argument if this movie had come out, you know, like three years after the the, the first one, right? But twenty years down the line, that's something which is going to be different in some way. And I think it is something which was different in this way. I mean, if you look at this movie on paper and and you hear the pitch and it's like, okay, it's 20 years later, we have advanced technology to a point where, you know, we're protecting the earth from these aliens with their technology. It's essentially making an alternate reality. I mean, if you just say that, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm hooked. I'm in. That's a different movie. You know, that's a, a way different movie than what you would get if this movie were made in 1999. And it's way different from what most sequels would be because it has that weird alternate reality element to it. So to me, there is definitely something which can be added to the mythology and everything by doing a sequel now. Uh, and I don't think that... that Independence Day is so sacred that, you know, trying a sequel, even though it may or may not work, is, you know, like forbidden. I actually don't think that any movie is like that, to be honest. Well, you know, I I don't I'm not saying that the movie is sacred because Independence Day is I mean, as we talked about last week, I love Independence Day. It's, It's such a fun, great film. And it still is, I think. Um, I think what I was saying, though, is just more, I guess, I, well, let's just talk about it now. Why do you add a sequel to a, a, a movie, you know? Um, wh- why why make a sequel to a movie? It's because you feel like you have a good story to tell with, I guess, the characters. Um, and, and you feel like you can continue the story. And, well, it's, just be honest, it's a business, so you want to make money. I mean that's that's really the reason to make a sequel. It it's it's spaceballs all over again. The search for more money. So I mean, um, that's why we make a sequel. And uh, I, but the, but the thing is, to me, I guess as a creative, and I've I've seen this, you know, with TV shows too. It's it's when you start to stretch things out so far that really you hurt the 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 franchise. You know, like. You drag a season of TV, you know, show of TV out 12, 13, 14, however many seasons, you, you're really diluting the water and hurting the storyline because usually you're just kind of regurgitating at that point. So you're right, Mike, 20 years later, but I think almost to me that makes my point of why go back and, and make a, a, a sequel to a movie that's 20 years old that, yeah, people loved then, but are you going to do it but i don't know what do you think richard well you know and honestly i think the 20 years did help uh it definitely it definitely made the story feel more real i mean 20 years we've advanced in 
technology and basically replicate the aliens technology and, and whatnot. I mean, it, it's it's re- it's realistic to uh, it's it's more believable than like Mike was saying, like if it was three years later uh, and here they come, they're coming back or, or with a bigger ship or, or whatnot. And, you know, it's just I don't know. I, I believed it more. I mean, I, I, I mean, it honestly, when when they when the news came out, when they were going to bring out the uh, resurgence, I was like, why? I mean, it, it was there is is there a need to add on to the story? And the only thing I could really think of, I mean, granted, I, I mean, I love the idea. It was great. I was I was but I was on board already with the movie. But then really thinking about it, it's like, why would you want to bring on another film? The only thing I could think of is money. I mean, I mean, and I, I, I don't know if you want to talk about the ending or not right now. But, uh, you know, it's it's sounds like it's going to be another another movie uh after this i mean i mean that's that's the feel i got from it and it's just i wasn't exactly blown away by this movie i mean i liked it but it it just another movie after this does not uh, does not seem right i mean it's it's like it's like transformers all over again for me it's like why make another one why make another one i think you thank you you brought up a film which I, i know a lot of people disparage the transformers franchise and I love the original Transformers because I felt like it it was Independence Day in a lot of ways. It knew exactly what it was. It was kind of a big, dumb action film that just happened to be a lot of fun. It had the nostalgia factor of, you know, the kids that grew up with Transformers, you know, and so getting to see that on the big screen. But it doesn't need a sequel. It doesn't need a mythology. It just, it could be just one thing. And that's kind of, for me, I guess coming into that, Mike, when you were talking about this idea of like adding to the mythology, it's like, well, to me, Independence Day is a one and done, you know, like it doesn't need a myth. Not every story needs a mythology, you know, because will it really be that deep? So I guess the question then is, let's, I mean, let's look at the story here. What, what do we get in this movie is, is the story holding up? And so we've got 20 years later. As you guys said, Earth is, you know, very prosperous. We, we've we uh, cleaned up the mess the aliens le- left for the most part. And we've adapted their technology and the world has united and become a happier place. Um, except for the people who have been kind of left in ruins like, you know, uh, Bill Pullman's uh, Thomas Whitmore who still has... Uh, seizure almost like seizures because of the the connection he has with with the aliens and uh, some people haven't fared as well or like the ship there's a ship that landed in Africa and those people fought a ground war with the aliens for years upon years so it, it, it it's an interesting set I have to say the beginning of the movie interesting setup really nice work as they kind of dive into what the world is like 20 years later. Yeah. And I definitely love that, uh, that idea. I mean, of them pay, uh, paying into the, uh, the, what, the earth digger or whatever, or whatever it's called, the molten when the one that was getting our, uh, mol- our molten rock in, in the earth. But, uh, you know, it's like, I really wish they would add more to that because it, as soon as they started talking about a ground war, it was like, Oh wow! What else is there? I mean, are we going to see something, or you know, are we going to? I mean, it, and we didn't even see an alien. It just, you know, when they went in that ship, I was expect, I was, I was in my mind, I was thinking, this is going to be aliens. Here we go. We're going to rock some. We're going to rock some, you know, heads, and 
nope, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of disappointed. Yeah, I mean that that's the type of stuff that I I really you know sort of liked, and and I mean that's the type of thing that you know like we were saying you couldn't do if this movie were made in say 1999 you know and i don't know there's a thing which it's been happening lately and i think it's kind of awesome it's very rare that that this has happened in the past and now it's happening again and again and again and i kind of love it where they say okay this franchise has died but now if we wait 25 years and go back to it there's something new to explore you know and it's not like it's planned out or anything but it actually opens up some interesting doors which didn't exist. It was were never intended, you know, but it really does sort of like get you to look at that thing in a different light. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I think that the big joke that everyone was, was saying, you know, back in 1996 when they were saying like, of course there's going to be a sequel, is like, oh, they come back again and then we defeat them again and oh, you know, what, I mean, like, what is that story? Like, literally, it's just the same thing again. But now this is an opportunity to do something really different. And, you know, I, I think that that's an exciting possibility. No, I, I agree with you, and I think I think the movie starts out with some really exciting possibilities. Yeah, I like the ground war thing, for example. Yeah. I mean, that's something which exactly. I, I never considered, and I'm like, that's awesome. And you can say, you know, here, like, this thing lasted 10 years, and you're like, oh, my God, you know, that's 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 amazing. That That is such a great concept, and I can forgive not seeing it, but at the same time, I thought, like, okay, now I want to see that movie. You know, I want to see if we're going to start doing, you know, Independence Day Expanded Universe. Let's get a prequel with a ground battle here. And that could be a really cool movie, you know? I think, well, I want to say this too. Uh, so Independence Day, the original film, is pretty long. It's like two and a half hours. This movie is only two hours. So it feels very truncated. Like it, it feels like, we're just trying to get to the wham bam, you know, action. Just yeah, uh, for sure. And, and we're longer. not spending time with the story characters the way we did in the first movie. Because if you like, we talked about the last movie. It's not just wall to wall action. There's a lot of character set up, a lot of character build up, and a lot of like world building things that happen to kind of get you interested in the characters. I, I would say the story here it doesn't really do a good job of making you care about you know anyone here because the storyline is is moving so fast and kind of glossing over all this stuff so that we're we're just here to get to people blowing up aliens yeah i don't really know if making it longer would have made it better i mean i see what you're saying that it needed more character development and everything and i totally agree with that but i think the characters that they wrote were extraordinarily boring people and to spend more time with them i think would have been intolerable so i mean I, I i honestly don't think that this movie needs to be any longer in fact i think that this movie could be a good 20 minutes shorter and you can lose it off the back end well what if they stepped up the characters and everything i mean that's that's quite possible i mean they talk about i mean godfather you know we were talking about three-hour movies off mic and you know, Godfather is the classic example where the studio is like, this feels long, cut it down. They cut it down to two hours or whatever it is. And then they were like, wait a minute, let's try putting stuff back in. And when they put stuff back in, people cared about what was going on and it felt 
a lot shorter than it, it actually did, even though it was much longer. I mean, certainly that's possible that that could have happened. That being said, given what we saw, I don't think that that happened. I don't feel like there's any sort of like missing character beats here. I feel like there's missing characters, you know? And I don't mean mm-hmm. like we need more characters. I mean like the characters that we have need to actually be like people, like real people. Right. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I, I completely agree with you, Mike. And that's where, yes, it, it, what I'm saying kind of falls short because you don't really want to see more of what we've got. You know, you're kind of like, can this just be over yeah. instead of like, can we get more of this? And and I think part of it, too, is like the other issue with waiting 25 years for a movie like this is that we have seen a lot of movies like this in the last 25 years, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, even just the setup, I mean, now, so the ship that they, they go to in Africa that uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, David, and uh, this woman we had never met before, but apparently is a love interest of his, um, you know, who's a, a psychologist who's been studying people with alien effects that they've had with the contact they've had with aliens for 20 years. Yeah. They actually activate the homing beacon <laughs> that sends the aliens to the planet and tells the Borg Queen, I mean the alien queen, <laughs> that she needs to come and finish the job on this planet because apparently we stopped them the first time. So... To, to- to to be fair there, just with that that little, you know, the Borg Queen is the alien queen, but the different alien queen, the real alien yes. queen. So yes. It yes. is something Well, the hive queen. All, yes. all, I mean, all of this has a... happened before and all of this will happen again. Exactly. <laughs> just like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that as you're kind of watching the movie, it becomes like that classic with the story, especially it becomes a classic sequel, which is we make it bigger, louder, and just ends up dumber. You know? And and yeah. because, I mean, even the ship that comes fits over the entire Atlantic Ocean and lands on both sides of the East Coast here and then in, like, you know, Britain and France and Spain. It just It's covering that kind of land. So we just made it bigger. We didn't make it better or smarter or anything like that. It's just bigger. Um, And I I think that was the frustration here is like you were talking about, Mike. You've got all these great ideas that you kind of put in the movie, but they become side notes so fast that we just get to this like, well, we legitimately have destroyed all of Britain. We've destroyed all of the East Coast in Florida. And more than like half the planet this time, it's just bigger, louder, and dumber. And the other thing about that is while there is a lot of like world building and, and, and a lot of these new concepts are very interesting, I think one of the things which we kind of learn in watching this one is that none of that stuff is what made the original interesting. What made the original interesting was really sort of like the characters and and the sort of tactile nature of this reality and the grounded nature of this reality. And while I'm stimulated on an intellectual level by 
<laughs> the setup of Independence Day Resurrection or whatever this movie's called. Um, I, I, um, um, Mike, it's Independence Day Resurgence. Okay, I will be sure not to forget that in 30 seconds. And, you know, I mean, while, while that, that's there, okay, it's like I, I, I'm, I'm not engaged in it at all, you know? And I know this is going to sound like a knock, and it's not, but it really, I mean, when I was watching it, I kept on thinking, like, this really reminds me of the difference between the original trilogy and the prequels, where it's like one is sort of about characters, one is sort of about this sort of like emotional bond with these people, and it feels like a real world, and the other one is sort of like a textbook approach to this alternate reality or this fantasy world, which is really interesting, but you're not like emotionally connected to it at all. And I mean, like, if, if we want to sort of like extend this into the special effects, which we, you know, gushed over in the first one, here, even though they were technically better, I did not buy them for a second because the whole time I'm like, a camera doesn't move like that. You know, that's just a bunch of, you know, animated people walking around, you know, and, and I just didn't buy any of it like I did with those, you know, dated effects that we saw in the first one. And and I did see, you know, I did go to that double feature we were talking about. And for the first one, oh, my God, I was engaged in those, you know, action sequences. I'm like, this is amazing. It's, it was like being in, you know, like a, a virtual reality thing. And then with this one, I'm just like, I'm watching a bunch of stuff in space. This is so, I mean, ultimately boring, you know. It's strange. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm rambling. No, that's okay. I will sidestep. The prequel it, it wasn't a knock, uh, okay. And allow I, I Mike, love, oh, you don't want to go there. John Hill. <laughs> I, I love to those you later on Twitter. Okay, I do. I, I um, love the prequels. <laughs> I, I and, and I do appreciate them for those reasons. It's just for different reasons, and it, it wasn't. I I didn't mean to say that like this is like the prequels. This one sucks, just like the prequels. No, I, I meant like on a sort of like uh uh aesthetic level and presentation level it wasn't meant as like a quality comparison no i i no, i know exactly i'm just teasing <laughs> you of course um but you know I, I mean even um so so part of the story is is that they're having a huge celebration it's 20 years earth has been safe you know um all of the uh, the planet has come together they are not a one world government but the earth is united they all work together the different countries and so they're celebrating and lo and behold of course a ship comes through a wormhole over the moon base and it looks like a soccer ball like a smooth shiny soccer ball a like, With one groove. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's related to Eve from, um, you know, uh, Wally. I just expected it to, you know, like mm. Wally. You know, it's like, got a little plant uh, sign. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The little plant sign comes on. Like, oh, this planet's okay. Um, and of course, we shoot it down because we think it's an enemy, and it turns out we're wrong. And it turns out that. This is a really helpful race that was almost wiped out, but it goes around the galaxy teaching other races how to fight off these invaders. The resistance. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then action, action, action. All the original characters die pretty much except for Jeff Goldblum and Brett Spiner's character. And Judd Hirsch. 
John Hirsch lives. Surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Hirsch doesn't die, which that was ridiculous. Um, and uh, and then we get asked to lead the resistance because humans are awesome. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, can we talk about that part in the story too? David's dad, like Jeff Goldblum's dad, David. David mm-hmm. is his character name. His dad just legitimately surfs a tidal wave onto Florida, somehow lives on his boat, and gets picked up by some kids. I mean, like, this storyline is just so cliched, It awful. was the seatbelt, man. It was the seatbelt. Because uh, he was awful. strapped in there. <laughs> he, yeah, he had a seatbelt on his boat, but somehow he's still alive. And then gets picked up by some kids who they all end up at Area 51. Somehow... Because that makes sense, because Florida and Area 51 are real close. It was a big wave. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, man, he surfed pretty so long. He surfed <laughs> over Florida, through Texas, <laughs> Past into Colorado Arizona. And right into Nevada. <laughs> oh, funny enough, it's the salt flats. There you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. It just, you know, on the show... I do like to be constructively critical. And I I think, though, what we're talking about is that we're frustrated that the movie isn't smarter. Now, I think a lot of people might be saying to us, but guys, Independence Day, the original, is not all that smart. But it's smart in the sense that it knows exactly what it is and it's not trying to be anything else. And it? does a pretty good job of making sense for the most part, as we talked about last week. But like you said, Mike, where it really shines is it gave you characters to care about in the situations that they're in. So it wasn't about whether it was the smartest movie. You just wanted to see those characters live. Whereas here, I think the characters and the cast that we get... Yeah. And, you know, and one of the other things I was just thinking about, too, is like ID4 was also present day. Uh, everything was present day. I mean, it was more realistic and more and more real than, you know, versus, you know, we don't have these ships that <laughs> that we have 20 years later. Obviously, we don't have something like that even to this day. But I mean, it, you know, th- actually, once the movie was over, I was actually thinking about how video games are the same way. It's like Call of Duty. Call of Duty just brought, uh, just is bringing out um, infinite, infinite War, and it's like, okay, enough's enough. Can we stop with the futuristic weapon sort of thing? It's getting too unrealistic. And it's just, I mean, that's how I, that's how I compared it. I mean, uh, versus the first uh, first one versus this one, because, I mean, it's just, it, I don't know. And I mean, I liked it, and, but and 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 that's like sort of like the interesting thing. I mean, that's what I find to be to be really interesting about this, you know, movie as kind of like an experiment because you know if you told me like okay well let's make a a grounded you know independence day which is like the first one or let's make an alternate reality where we have alien guns i'd be like alien guns of course that's the way more interesting idea and i think that you know conceptually it is the way more interesting idea but i think in, in terms of execution it what this movie proves is that it doesn't work as well, you know? And I mean, maybe, maybe this is something that, that would work better as like a a book or something, you know, maybe this, they should take a cue from the star Wars expanded universe and try to tell this story in a different medium, because I would love to read, you know, sort of like 
the you know Independence Day fake Wikipedia where it talks about how the world has changed in the past 20 years. But when you see a movie which is you know demonstrating that, you have to set up so much stuff that you don't have time to to sort of like uh, deal with all of the things that we we loved in that first one. And it feels like the next one, which I think is a perfectly fine concept, is going to take that even further. And if it ever gets made. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's is what it is, I guess. Well, I wanted to ask you guys. Um, uh, so with the cast that we did get in the film, and obviously, you know, you got Jeff Goldblum back, Bill Pullman back. Uh, you know, you brought Judd Hirsch back. Brent Spiner obviously plays a much bigger role. Uh, Vivica A. Fox is in the movie somewhat. <laughs> um, and so uh, just, uh, you know, and then all the new cast. So was there anyone that stood out to you at all? You know, what did you like? Who did you like? Uh, and, and where do you feel like you could have gotten more or they could have just done better? You know, honestly, uh, seeing Jesse T, uh, is it just Jesse T Usher is, uh, was the son of, um, Captain Hiller. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was actually, you know, when they were talking about the drama between him and Liam Hemsworth, um, honestly, I thought it was going to be, so much bigger maybe maybe uh, they like each other or something like that but even you know with i mean once we found out what a, what was what was what was the whole drama piece about uh, between the two i mean it really di- it really didn't make me want to care about it and it's just it even in the end it's like he's like hmm, okay whatever you know it's like okay the you you can't be you can't be any more emotional uh, emotional about that and you know I, I I don't know I mean I when Brent Spiner came on it really Brent Spiner was was my was my favorite out of the whole entire really the movie uh, considering he didn't have a lot uh, in uh, in the movie but I mean it, and I think part of it is because he's obviously has a, he has a uh, he has a history with ID four and also with Star Trek and, it, I, and he's absolutely he's funny I mean. And it's just the rest of them were like, yeah, we'll just make the story go along just a little bit. You know, here we go. You know, not as much as Brad Spire, but yeah, just make the movie go further. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that Brent Spiner was the standout here. You know, I was very skeptical because there's, you know, it's been like a thing like, how is he alive? He died in the first one. And they keep on saying, did he, did he? And I'm like expecting some sort of, you know, huge explanation. And they're just like, no, he's, oh, he was just in a coma. And it's like, okay, you killed him. He, his eyes were open and, you know, uh, Jane went down and, and he checked for his pulse and didn't find it and walked away. He is clearly dead in the first one. But I'm glad that they didn't kill him because he actually was uh, definitely the most entertaining part of this movie. Spiner is a really good actor. I don't understand why he isn't like, you know, a character actor in everything. You know what I mean? Like like someone like William H Macy or something like that. So it's great to see him sort of get to get to do his thing. Um, but yeah, that that was the standout for me. Everyone else was pretty much expendable. Well, and and what's uh, what's so interesting because you know we don't have Will Smith. We don't have that really charismatic person. And I'm sorry, but Liam Hemsworth is just not charismatic enough to pull off the Will Smith role. You know, that's you know, if you wanted somebody to kind of fill that mold, you needed somebody 
who had that kind of charisma but was just of the younger generation. And Liam Hensworth just isn't that guy. You know, he's, uh, unfortunately, I just don't find him all that interesting. And uh, they also didn't give him anything to work with. I mean, his character is so blasé and so cliched that, you know, this kind of like a military bad boy, you know, that the president's daughter is in love with was, it just, it, it didn't really work. And part of that too is, is that, you know, his relationship and the, the frustration he had with um, Dylan uh, Hiller, you know, um, his uh, Hiller's uh, yeah, it was Dylan. stepson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that just, it didn't really work all that well for me either. Um, and, you know, then, of course, Hiller loses his mother, and that relationship, like, the way she's lost and everything, they just don't do a good job of building any of these climactic moments so that every time somebody dies, you're like, oh, well, I guess they're not going to be in the sequel, you know? <laughs> um, just killing all the people off who didn't want to sign up for the sequel. That's pretty much what they were doing here. There's There's another rather prominent character which dies in this movie, and it's one of those things where, like, they die, and it's like you see them like, oh, we're going to face off, and then they cut away to something, and then they're like, blah, blah, blah died. And I'm like, wait, what? And it was like something where it was like so like poorly done that I thought like, oh, that person's coming back. They're not really dead. They just think that they're dead. And then they didn't. Like, they were just flat out dead. And it's like, really? Like, that's what you're going to do with that character? And and I was really looking forward to this character because of um, the person who was playing them and stuff, and it 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 ended up uh, being a complete waste and and like one of the dumbest characters in 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 the movie. I, I don't know if you guys know who I'm talking about. I'm trying not to spoil anything. Uh, we've spoiled everything in this movie. Yeah, so. I think so. Fine. Yeah. Okay, fine. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. The president, you know. Yeah, I mean, when they said like Celia Ward's playing the president, I'm like, oh yeah, because she was like, you know, someone who was often used as like the foil for the people who were playing the president back in '96. You know, I mean, she was, you know, Doctor Richard Kimball's wife and stuff like that, and she was, you know, such a badass in the '90s, and we just haven't seen her recently. And now they're like, she's the president. I'm like, I totally buy that. I would vote for her in a heartbeat. You know, and then she steps up and she just does one stupid thing after another, and then she disappears without really doing anything like uh, of substance anything she wasn't a character she was just like a mouthpiece you know and it's like wh and then the way that she dies like you don't even see it and it's like well, wait what what's going on in this movie? Like, I literally, I don't know what's going on in this movie because they're doing such a poor job with the execution. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess this is when uh, Roland Emmerich shouldn't come out and call the DC and the Marvel films, you know, dumb and well, I mean, things I, like that. I, I'm to, sorry. To, to be but, fair, I mean, to be this, fair to this him, movie... he did qualify that and said, like, look, it's not my thing, you know, whatever. If people want to Well, but like I mean, it. if this is your thing, then I don't know, because apparently America doesn't agree that this is its thing anymore, because the box office for this movie is dismal. Uh, lots of people like stupid things. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson what? says he loves Adam Sandler movies, you know? So, whatever. Oh, come on. <laughs> I think Sandler movies are awesome. <laughs> if they're directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, yes, but otherwise. Uh... Well, and, and we talked about it last week, you know, but the fact that they don't have 
Mae Whitman to play the daughter who has a gravitas all on her own, I think would have been fantastic because she's a great actress. And I think there's nothing wrong with the actress that they chose. But then on top of that, they just didn't give her a lot to do. You know, she's just kind of reacting to all of these men and barely has any agency all on her own. And, you know, uh, the only agency she takes is at the very, very end of the film when she disobeys her daddy to, to you know, help him out, you know. And so it, there's just there's just not a lot for any of these characters to do. And I guess what we're just saying is constructively. The characters were what made the first movie work, and that's what you needed to kind of focus on in this movie. And especially if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna kill off Thomas Whitmore, the president, the original Independence Day president, it needs to be really epic. This isn't really epic. I, I think they thought it was epic, you know. Oh, I, yeah, I, I know they thought it was epic. <laughs> it just wasn't, and that's what worries me. They thought this was epic. That's the problem. Yeah. It, it, you know, I think they're trying to capture. I mean, they're like that's how the first one ended with, uh, you know, Randy Quaid and stuff like that. And I think they're trying to capture that, you know, sort of feeling. And it just didn't quite work. But yeah, I don't know. It's 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 unfortunate. My generation up. <laughs> Isn't that the thing though? Too is like you said, they had all these great ideas for to kind of take the movie in a different direction. But this really just becomes a remake of the original film. You know, when, when like you said, Mike, you've got 20 years, you've got a lot you can do. Uh, you can really go somewhere, go someplace different. They started off somewhere different, but end up at the exact same story beat place that they did in the original film. And I think that's kind of what we were all afraid of that would happen. And, and I knew I was, and I just didn't think that remaking Independence Day was probably a, a good idea. And I think, unfortunately... But everything's I, getting I rebooted. Proven. <laughs> but and this isn't even a reboot. Yeah. I mean, it, it. what's funny, though, let's talk about it. It's a soft reboot mm -hmm. in the sense that they're killing off all the main characters that they don't want around anymore so they can continue to make sequels with all the kids... Uh, about them going off and fighting this resistance in space, so it'll be like you know La Star resistance. Trek 09. So it's it's interesting. I mean, if if we want to sort of like go off on a tangent a little bit and expand on this idea that we're talking about here of remaking a, a or you know doing a sequel to a movie twenty years after it comes out, I, I've been thinking about this a lot in recent years. Like, what movies that exist today? are we going to see sequels for in 20 years? And it was just today when I was thinking about it in, in relation to this that I think maybe the most likely thing is going to be Harry Potter, you know? Oh, God. I could yeah. totally no, see I can, I, <laughs> I could totally see them them remaking Harry Potter. Well, not not, and I not, would not say... remaking, but saying, like, we're going to get, you know, all of the kids back, and now they're, like, 30. And... Ah, uh, well, that... I mean, they would have to write... I but mean, she would. But have I mean, she's already. I mean, how many that. plays? How many extra books? How many movies? I mean, that's the one. Yeah. I, I don't know. That to me seems like the most yeah. likely candidate at this point in time. Anyway, just, just for me, what I see happening there is that they are just going to remake the books, but in a way that 
maybe tries to mirror some of the story elements that got left out of the other movies. I don't know if they do like a big like season long mini series for that or something. Just I I feel like that's where you take that. But anyway, no, I completely agree with you. I've thought about that a lot because um, there actually is a lot you could improve on with those films. I I love the Harry Potter movies, but I also have a lot of issues with some of them. And so, yeah, I, I actually wouldn't mind seeing them being redone in some way. So that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I so I gotta ask you guys, you know, to sequel or not to sequel? Are you guys interested in uh, sequel? Like where they're taking this of humanity's special? We're gonna lead the resistance now. Yeah, I didn't like it. I I mean, I didn't, I thought it was gonna be just done. But then when Brent Spiner comes up, oh, they want us to lead to the resistance. It's like, oh no, <laughs> I, I yeah, I wasn't too, I wasn't so excited about it. I mean, I was entertained throughout the whole entire movie, but it's like it, it just you know it needed to be done. Just finish it, cut it off, done. Don't worry about it anymore. You know, let's 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 just be done with it. I mean, I guess maybe I was at a disadvantage in that I had already heard what, like, when they announced this one or even before they announced this one, they were like, we want to do two. You know, I mean, I, that was always the intention, you know, so I was aware of that back before I, I, I even knew what this one was going to be about. So I was kind of expecting it. Um, but I mean, I think what they're doing is interesting in that they are trying to take it to a different place literally and you know i i think that that you know is is the thing to do if you're going to do a, a another sequel or for any any franchise really but uh when i heard you know that that's when when the thing ends and it's like oh and and you just kind of you know think like well i guess we know what the next next one's going to be i mean of course i'm going to see it of course i will see it but am i going to be excited about it not really because you know when i hear that i just think like oh man that seems like a lot of work as as a viewer, you know, that just seems like a lot of work. So, you know, I mean, do I think it's going to be good? <laughs> I mean, I will always give Emmerich the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I'll, I've watched all of his movies, both good and bad. Except I haven't seen, I feel really bad. I haven't seen Stonewall and I haven't seen Anonymous, but all the other ones I've seen. And, you know, I, I will always give him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I, I, I don't have high hopes. Let's put it that way. That reminds me of a great Harry Potter line from the third film where uh, Ron is reading Harry's tea leaves and he's like, um, you've got kind of a wonky cross and so you're going to suffer, but at least you'll be happy about it. Yep. <laughs> so yep. Mike's going to suffer watching the movie and unfortunately he's not going to be happy we'll see we'll see you never know you know you never know what's going to be good and what's going to be bad it's true you really don't um i i want to ask you guys uh, we talked a little bit about the effects but i wanted to know you know what you guys thought because obviously you know it's 20 years later we we've got so much more what did what did you guys end up thinking i mean we've got way more destruction this time you know way more things blowing up does it does any did any of that stuff work for you just visually did you like it um did did that keep you at least visually entertained or or did you does that kind of stuff at this point just kind of turn your brain off uh when i saw it um definitely uh it was i, I don't think it was more destruction i mean well, i guess the tidal wave but i mean i don't know it's water it, i don't know it just reminds me of battleship but um <laughs> but like uh it, it's just 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess the, the the visual effects worked for for me for like you know the, the air battle and and you know the the ship actually landing on the Earth and how massive it was and it was I mean obviously you had to have something bigger than the the mothership that you know that's. That's basically a debris field uh, right outside the moon, and you know. But it's just—I mean, I, I, when when the when the when the heart when I guess I guess it's called the harvester. Uh, when the harvester landed, it it was massive. I loved it. It it kept me engaged. The space, the air battle, but yeah, the rest of it wasn't wasn't too exciting. I mean, I, I would have loved to seen more. Uh, I guess hand to hand and more uh, more uh, more of them shooting the the alien rifles and and whatnot but i mean we barely saw that i mean it was only what the last 15 minutes of the movie or something like that when they were trying to grab i guess the the soccer ball yeah i, I mean i i thought that a lot of the design work and everything was really interesting like especially at the beginning and seeing like you know all the new like helicopters and ships and those massive TVs that they had outside of the White House or wherever they were at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, that's the way to watch the Super Bowl yeah, right there. I'm, like, oh, there I'm like, wow, those aliens really had LED technology down, you know? I can't wait to see that. They must be watching something in, you know, 8K or 16K, you know? Um, but as far as it, like, being engaging at all, like, in terms of the action sequences and stuff... Like, I just completely checked out. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you what happened in most of this movie. And I've seen it twice, okay? And it's like, the reason is because I just, it's it literally is just stuff flying around, you know? And it's like, this stuff is going to fly around, and then someone's going to die, or something's going to blow up, and then we know that we're at the end. And it's like, this is, it's nothing. It's literally like watching nothing, just on screen. It was really expensive, nothing. I did like when the ship landed, like Richard did. I thought that that was a really cool effect. And again, it just uh, it was is really interesting. But then as it began, it has its own gravity and it begins to suck up everything and then everything falls, it became such a muddled mess of just, you know, this cacophony of craziness happening on the screen that it's too much, you know, because the human eye can only take in so much. And then the problem as well is I had a huge issue with the very last points of the movie where what I loved about the original is when they walk out on that salt flat to go pick up David and uh, Steve Hiller, they are in the desert, there's a crashed ship over there. They're on a real truck. Everything's real. When they have the same moment at the end of this film, everybody is on a green screen, and it looks so bad and so fake that it's just like, this is supposed to be the big moment where everybody reunites, and like it, you're supposed to be like, reunited, and it feels so good. And all you can think of is like, this looks like an awful commercial where they put somebody in front of a you know a green screen and they they put something in the background that you can just tell that person's not there. Is this is this is this mirror universe Matt we're talking to right here? <laughs> Awful. Awful. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like if you substitute Independence Day for Star Wars, it's like what? No, what? no, no, no. <laughs> Let we. That is a whole other conversation okay. because that has an aesthetic that 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 makes it work. Okay. Here, there isn't that aesthetic because I can legitimately tell that 
they're just not in the. I mean, it's they're not in the desert, you know. Okay, uh, okay. It, it doesn't, that's cool. It, that's cool. Uh, I'm just work. glad that we have that, so, you know, down on uh, on wax. Well, um, okay. Let me put it this way: <laughs> there is a reality. There is a reality to where they're supposed to be in Independence mm-hmm. Day, right? Because we've already been there before in the first. Yeah, movie. I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Star Wars, say just uh, say the uh, the droid factory scene in Episode Two, classic example. That's made up. It, it's not supposed to be anything that's realistic. So the way it looks, I can my my brain can kind of like compensate. But this, I it doesn't compensate because I know what it should look like. It should look like the end of the original, where they're all in the actual desert, <laughs> but they're too lazy to actually shoot there. Uh, so they're trying to save money and it just doesn't, anyway, it didn't work. Um, you're so weird. I'm just putting that out there. I, hey, uh, we all have our <laughs> things, you know, we all have our things and yeah, <laughs> call me inconsistent, but, um, I don't think it's being inconsistent. I'm just saying the work there was really shoddy. Agreed. Yeah. It was bad CGI. Yeah, I agree. Cause I, you can make somebody look like they are in a place and do it well. This just they i feel like they just needed you know some more comp time or something i don't know anyway well okay all of this conversation it'll be interesting to see where you guys uh what you guys rate this movie uh i don't know where do you think you'd put it richard uh i definitely ranked id4 six out of five that's that's my that's my whole thing but Oh my god! I, I, you know, I love the film. It was. I mean, I mean, wait, wait. Let me retract that. I like the film. And three, three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> three out of five. I mean, I wasn't. I'm trying I, to I be was, nice, sir, but so, I can't. I so wanted to love this film. I really. I mean, granted, we came out of the film. We. I mean, my daughter loved it. But, well, she's also six. So, um, but you know. She loved it because of the visual effects and, you know, everyone that I, and I hate to say it like this, but everyone that was younger loved it. Everyone that was older didn't. And I found I found that to be true on Facebook as well, because everyone I've talked to about it is is been like, oh, it's cheesy. You know, the older people that is. And then I talked to like people that are younger. I mean, I'm 33. Um, people that are younger than me, my brother's age, they're, they're like, oh, I loved it. It was awesome. It was this. It was that. I love Liam, Hen- Liam Hensworth. And, you know, the, the romance with Liam Hemsworth and uh, whatever her name is. Um, Fake Patricia Whitmore. <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't believe the love story at all. It was like, oh, it sounds like they're going to break up sometime soon. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm in the middle. I, I like it, but I don't love it. Um, I definitely wouldn't see it 20 times like I did ID4. That's for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I like I said, I've, I've seen it twice. You know, the first time, because I'm like, I have the chance to watch it on the same screen that I saw the original. And I'm like, all right. But in the back of my head, I knew, like, I'm going to see this thing tomorrow because I'm going to the double feature, right? So I think... The first time, and it'll be, it's interesting. If you look at my letterboxed uh, diary, you'll see that the first time I watched it, I gave it three stars. And the second time I watched it, I gave it two stars. And I think the first time I watched it, for one thing, I was really engaged by all of the world building stuff. And I thought that that was really cool. And sort of as it progressed, I was losing interest. I was losing consciousness, literally. And, um, you know, it got to the end and I'm like, eh, it's fine. But then watching it again, you know, in in rapid succession, I was like, this does not work. This really does not work. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, but the execution is 
rather terrible, and because of that, I gave it two stars, and I think that's accurate. It's funny because doing this podcast, uh, I really do, for the most part, try to see a movie that's brand new a couple of times before I do the podcast, and that's because I, I want to be knowledgeable about it. You know, I, w- I want to know my stuff. I want to I know the plot. I want to know the intricacies of things. I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything. You know, and I want to do service to the film for the listeners. You know, I I don't want to come off as a novice. I, you know, even if it just came out, I want people to be able to respect that. You know, my opinion is well formed because I've I've spent some time and some money, and uh, you know, I I can have a, a good opinion of the film, one that people can trust and say, well, I mean, you know, Matt's seen it. You know, he said three times. You know, already. So, and this is his opinion. So. This movie I only saw once. One, because I didn't need to see it again. Honestly, because I'd already seen the original, and it was better. And two, I just didn't want to see it again. Like, I I don't want to pay money to see this again. Um, I will probably never see this again. And that's unfortunate. I hate saying about about this movie, but there's really not a reason to do that. It, it's not even one of those films where, like, oh, you know, see it once on the big screen and that's enough. Like maybe if this is on HBO one night and you're flipping channels and you're bored, stop by, give it a look-see. But this to me, I rated this two and a half stars on Letterboxd, Mike, but I'm going to have to go back and change that because this is a two-star film. You're right. And I hate saying that because to me, two stars is awful. Um, you know, one is like nigh unwatchable, um, but this is this is this is a two star film, and it is an unfortunate thing to have to say that because what it could have been is it could have been at least a three star film if they had invested in the story and in the characters in the ways that we talked about. You know, really brought out those interesting elements of the story that they had kind of set up, but then they glossed over and given us some characters to actually care about you know they they just don't do that and in fact they kind of make you not really care about the characters that used to be and i mean you know the ones you cared about from the original film they they just they kind of bungle it i mean to, to answer your question earlier about like does a sequel harm the 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 original or whatever like i, I totally think that that's a no because i mean how many times have you thought about jaws 2 you know, I mean, seriously, hmm. I haven't even seen Jaws 2. Well, I've never seen exactly. Jaws 2. So. You know, so, I mean, that's the thing. And it, it's like, I, I will watch the original Independence Day three billion times from now until the day I die. And I may never watch this one again, but I will also basically never think that this this one will never even enter my mind. So it can't, you know, affect that for me. And also, don't feel bad about only seeing this movie once. I mean... You know, I think there's really something to, like, the Pauline Kael philosophy of, like, regular people are only going to see the movie once, right? So to to give your, your opinion based on that one time you saw it, I think is completely valid because you shouldn't have to watch a movie, like, twice in order to like it, you know? Sometimes that happens, but, you know, it's okay to only see a movie once. No, I I totally agree with you, and and for me again, it's it's not to like make myself like a movie. It's just to be familiar yeah. with it, uh, so that just, I can talk about it intelligently. That's fair. That's yeah. I I want to make sure the listeners are, you know, they want to listen to the show. Yeah. You know, yeah. so 
<laughs> I appreciate all of you guys, uh, just everyone listening. It, it means so much that you do take your time out to listen to the 602 Club. Thank you so much. And uh, hit us up with a star rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, we're doing the, the review contest. You can win yourself a digital copy of the new Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition. Uh, it's totally worth watching. I've uh, seen it already. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Even if you didn't like the movie originally in its theatrical cut, I think this movie will make you rethink it. I, t I really, truly do. Um, because a lot of the criticism that I heard of it well, I, I think this movie does a good job of um, adding back in those story part points that people were missing. So check that out. Uh, I'm really thankful that we get to do this each week with our associate producers, making sure that happens through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, thank you so much, guys. You mean the world to us for helping the Trek FM network go round. Now, we're a listener-supported network, and we definitely need your help to keep all of this content coming to you. So just go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can be part of the team today. And just make sure that all the content that we put out each and every week through Trek FM keeps coming to you. Now, Richard, uh, before we get out of here and let everybody not probably go watch uh, Independence Resurgence over this uh, holiday weekend. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me uh, popping in and out of the Babel Conference on Facebook. Awesome, man. Yeah, and uh, as uh, Mike let everybody know, uh, you know when you see Richard there, thank him for making sure that Trek FM shows come out on time. So, really do I, that. I, I got, I got that, that last week's episode to you a few hours earlier than normal, didn't early, I? Early. Very early. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Mike is keeping his promise. Yeah. Let's see if it happens again this week. Uh, well, Mike, uh, before we get gone, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing Stage 9 with John Mills, where we talk about the people who make Star Trek. This week, uh, we talk about the new audiobook version of Harlan Ellison's original screenplay for city on the edge of forever and um it's like a full cast you know it's it's almost like a table read of the screenplay and it's also got all the essays and everything it's really interesting so head on over there and uh check it out and you can also find me on twitter at mumbles 3k well everybody can find me on twitter as well at matt rushing zero two you can also find me on the network here with chris jones doing the orb talking about deep space nine of course, also doing Literary Treks with Dan and Bruce, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also interview the authors. It's a blast. Great place to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So many great books coming out this year, so be sure you check that out. I do a podcast with John Mills as well. It's called Aggressive Negotiations. You can find us on iTunes under Aggressive Negotiations or over at thenerdparty.com. We hope that you will join us. It's so much fun talking to Star Wars with John. And... Um, of course, uh, you can find the uh, 602 Club special feed. We have the Star Wars feed and has all the shows we do there. So check that one out as well. If you like the 602 Club and you just want to listen to all the Star Wars shows we've done, check that out. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Unless you're an alien. <laughs>